Hello and welcome to a recently unwrapped version of Hollywood Chop Shop. This is our wrap-up to the Christmas Come Early trilogy, which was named after the fact that we reviewed three brand new released movies, uh, which is something we haven't done before, probably won't do again for a little while. Um, but we reviewed 2021's Spider-Man Far From Home, 2021's The Matrix Resurrections, and 2021's Don't Look Up. Uh, which is interesting about all of these, uh, all came in different platforms. Spider-Man, we actually went to the theater to watch, which was, you know, uh, haven't done that in a good long while. Matrix was an HBO release and Don't Look Up was a Netflix release. Um, but uh, yeah, at the end of the day, Travis, what were your what were your thoughts of this trilogy? Um, overall, a little bit disappointed. Um, it was fun going into this trilogy. I mean, like you said, it is weird. They're all new releases. Only one of them you had to go to the theater for. I guess you could have joined the the 19 other people who saw Matrix Resurrections in theater and probably even less that saw Don't Look Up theatrically. But I was so excited to have the buzz of three straight weeks of seeing something that I hadn't seen before. Um... I know we've mentioned it on several podcasts, but, you know, we met working at a theater way back in, what, 2004? Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of had that energy where, hey, next month there's like five movies that I want to see, and we're going to all see them together and be able to experience them for the first time. So I was kind of excited to relive that, much like a lot of the movie slate of 2021 the actual product that came was a little bit disappointing. Um, Cause I mean, the matrix resurrections was absolute dog shit to me. Um, the other two are flawed, a little more enjoyable, but yeah, it didn't live up to my expectation. I'll say that. What about you? Yeah. I think that's kind of where I fell in this one too, is of the three movies we watched all brand new releases. Um, Two of them you would consider like blockbuster worthy. Uh, all big names. I mean, star studded across the board. It wasn't like we picked an indie darling or anything like that. None of them I really fell in love with. Like none of them I was like, holy shit, I will probably watch this again recently or before we review it or anything like that. Um, I think only one of them was did I did I watch and was just kind of like, yeah, there's no shot i will watch this again uh but yeah i guess just disappointed and i don't know if it's a, a commentary because i try and, and look back because i think it's easy to try and and be like oh well it's just you know hollywood it's just so unoriginal like there's nothing good coming out anymore and i don't know if it's that because as you said we worked in the theater in 2004 and not every week were you going to have it wasn't like we were just being showered with fantastic cinema i mean you have to remember gothica came out at the time we were working in the theaters and stuff like that or, or right around that time so there was plenty of duds it's just i guess it was two major franchises and a huge director screenwriter adam mckay so i you can even consider him a franchise of his own knowing what his his filmography is I don't know. I just expected at least one of these to be something that I was like, man, that was that was awesome. Like, I really loved that. And I just didn't get that feeling from any of them. And I guess that was that was a disappointment for me that I that none of these touched me in that special way. You know? Yeah, I was just thinking I 
didn't have a single goosebump moment across the trilogy. Yeah, and that's crazy that no no goosebump moment because I can remember, and I don't know, I've I've kind of inferred because we haven't really talked about uh, Avengers Endgame, but even Avengers Endgame as kind of by the books and as as that was and cookie cutters Marvel was there, I did have a, a goosebump moment, like, and I still do. Like, there's the moment where where Captain America gets Thor's hammer; it gets me every time. Like, there's just that moment where you're like, oh my god, this I've, I've been waiting for. Not only that, but when he stands there in the portals and they they basically all of the Avengers assemble like the culmination of all of that coming together like I for it still gets me and I thought I would have something similar to that with Spider-Man um No Way Home just because I'm like we're seeing like these were the villains we are at least two of them were the villains like we kind of grew up with at that age like we were in high school and such or coming out of high school but like we got to see Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin and um was it Alfred uh, Molina Molina as Doc Ock again, which both fantastic performances. And like, even that didn't give me chills. And I don't know if that's because again, you have a trailer that spoils that, you know, that they're there the moment where, you know, Doc Ock coming out of the smoke, like that would have been a holy shit moment for you. And they had to give it to you in a trailer, but like, it is definitely still one of those things where like, I just, yeah, like I said, I didn't, I did not have any special buzz in any of these movies. Yeah. And you mentioned Endgame. I think, uh, no way home is a little bit more of an entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goosebumps are not there because I know this is just setting up more Tom Holland, Spider-Man, maybe some Andrew Garfield, maybe some Tobey Maguire, you know, it's just franchise building at least in game. Yeah. It felt like, like you said, the culmination of a bunch of movies and at least the end of a chapter. Uh, Spider-Man didn't even have that going for it. So I think part of it is we've changed and part of it is everything is just building to the next thing now. There's no standalone content. Yeah. And I'll say it's better than Iron Man 2, but I still feel like Spider-Man No Way Home got Iron Man 2. And when I say that, my definition for that is it basically became a movie to springboard other things like Iron Man two. It was about, Oh, let's show the shield for captain America. Let's have Thor's hammer. Like it was basically trying to, to, to set up everything else so that we could create the first Avengers movie and, and sow those seeds. And I feel like to your point, a lot of what Spider-Man no way home was, was, was springboarding. Like let's, let's jumpstart some other stuff. Like what Dr. Strange is going to be doing in the multiverse, what we're going to be doing to your point is there any other new media we can create with the original Spider-Mans, you know, and stuff like that. It's just, it just, none of it, it didn't feel, even to me, it didn't feel like a conclusion. The way the movie ends, to me, it was like, it doesn't, there was no arc or anything like that. I thought everything that we did in Spider-Man No Way Home was just a retelling of what we did in Spider-Man's other two movies. Like, it just, I don't know, and so much of it was based off of nostalgia, and that's kind of what kept you going with it. So interesting. I think we made two good points that flow right into let's talk about the Matrix a little bit. You know, nostalgia never goes out of style. I mean, the Matrix literally played <laughs> scenes from the older movies throughout the movie and down to the point of having the characters watch 
the old Matrix movies, like in media res. Um, but at the same time, I don't think the Matrix was really trying to. Well, I, let me ask you. The, the Matrix Resurrections, the movie you watch, do you feel that it is blatantly trying to set up a Matrix universe or is this fine being a standalone film? This is my honest opinion. And again, I did a little bit of research where Lana Wachowski wrote this in a, a moment where she was feeling very isolated and basically kind of put herself off in a room and, and, and wrote this. And knowing that background, to me... I feel Matrix Resurrections was a oh god I just blanked on the word uh redcon retcon to the original Matrix trilogy. I think it was basically they created an epilogue to show what happened after Trinity and Neo made their sacrifice like oh yes it did work they had peace and all this and then Lana needed a happy ending because basically what it was is they decided that Neo and Trinity got to continue living together. And not only that, now they're this superpower, like a yin and a yang situation where they have the power to do whatever they want and they'll create life. And, you know, this and that. I, I don't think it was a let's create more Matrix trilogy or stuff like that. I think it was Lana Wachowski needed to write something happy uh because i don't want to say beautiful because i think you can have beauty and in, in kind of devastation uh can go hand in hand but it needed to write something happy and basically retcon what they did with the matrix to make it a happy ending and then beyond that warner Bros. is like you want to make, wait make a matrix movie absolutely let's do this like we can make money off of this and i, I think that was the marrying of those two ideas so i agree with you 100 percent I, I don't think there was any real intent to spark a new franchise with this, mm -hmm. which on paper is refreshing to me. And yet I still despise the movie. So it's, it's weird that I bristle so much at world building and springboarding to the next thing, but you still got to make an enjoyable matrix film. Yeah, at the end of the day, The Matrix to me, anybody who asks me about it, I mean, my my one sentence review is it's a movie that didn't need to be made. Like, there's no real message. I don't think it really adds to The Matrix universe or even to the characters. And you can say like, well, but they get to live. And I'm like, yeah, they get to live. But I'm like, I don't think that that add. I don't think them not sacrificing themselves or not staying dead added to who they were as characters, bringing them back so they can be together like they did their part. They fell in love. Like the whole thing of Trinity, I was told by the Oracle, I would fall in love with the chosen one. Right. And that's, that's fine. They had their relationship and, and their characters did what they had to do. Like, and I'm not saying that this movie destroys what they did in the original trilogy or, or it just, it adds something to the end that didn't need to be there. Like I didn't get any feels off of it. Like, Oh God, I'm so happy that Neo and Trinity got to survive. Like, even to the point of like, if you wanted to have dived into the torture of them being reassembled or something like that, or like that, you know, that there was going to be scars from that and they were going to have to live with that. But basically at the end of the movie, not only did they get rebuilt and basically manipulated and used, 
but they actually came off better off at the end of it. Like there was no emotional scarring that they need each other. Like, nope, they just get a happy ending. They get to be together. They both have the same superpowers and now they're going to create life together, right? They get to, they can control the matrix and the matrix can't control them. Yeah. And, and I think my biggest disappointment, I think the matrix is an IP There's a, a lot of ground still to cover. A lot of stories you could still tell within the Matrix. I think it's a, it was it was a mistake to bring back the original creator because all this really showed me is the iconic nature of the the original trilogy, especially the first movie. Everything that it had going for it was kind of in spite of the Wachowskis, not because of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the elements that made it successful are removed and all that's left is one half of the Wachowskis. And I just don't think she's a good director. I, I wish, you know, like, uh, uh, Colin Trevorrow, people like that who make one or two, you know, low budget movies, Denny Villeneuve. I wish somebody like that could have had their breakthrough opportunity to tell a Matrix story. Mm -hmm. Like you can have Lana Wachowski on as an uh, EP, you know, to give some notes, make sure that they make some money off of their original creation. But it it it, it needed a fresh set of eyes desperately. Yeah, and it's one of the things that this and Don't Look Up uh, both wind up doing is you wind up having a throwaway line or maybe two or three lines of dialogue that sets up something that's more interesting to me than the movie that you presented me with. Because The Matrix did it with the whole like, oh yes, we got peace, but then there were different factions of the robots and they started fighting over power because there wasn't enough power and then one overtook the other. I'm like, oh wait, that's way more interesting than what's going on here. I, I didn't know that there were two, like there were, I thought the machines were a hive mind by the architect. Like I didn't realize that there were different factions that I guess borrowed the matrix and used the matrix like that to me was a way more interesting that I wanted to know about. And then with don't look up, it wound up being with, you know, the character, uh, Kate Blanchett's character, when she gives her background as to who she was and like, she came from money, but had to make a name for herself. I'm like, her character is far more interesting than any of the other characters in this movie. I want to know more about her, her motivations and what she's doing. And like, I it's it's a shame when a movie does that when they wind up planting a seed where I'm like now I just want to know more about that one thing because you've managed to make that more exciting than the two and a half hour long movie that you gave me. Yeah, and can you imagine and don't look up if Kate Blanchett's character had been more of a focus and mm -hmm. she kind of has to further turn her back on the the rich elite that she came from. You know, she could meet Dr. Randall Mendy and believe in his cause. And she could almost, if you want to look at it in terms of the Matrix, you know, she could wake up, quote unquote, from the Matrix that she's been living in, which is, hey, just do this boring news show and decide, hey, this is a real cause that I could do some real credible, you know, reporting on and use my three, to, you know, master's degrees or PhDs. Uh, but yet, like you said, we only get to scratch the surface with her. Mm-hmm. So it'll take that as an opportunity to look into to don't look up. Um coming fresh off of a review of that, 
it's just it's another one of those where it's you know trying to to look at an existing again i use mckay as a franchise himself because of everything that he's done and his success you know his his name carries some weight and then ultimately the movie you get doesn't seem to live up to the hype that's attached to that and i think that happened with this trilogy as a whole you know going back and, and trying to define it as it was a lot of very large names or ips that didn't live up to i guess what i was looking for and it's not even to sit there and say that oh you know if you're looking at this on a, on a bar graph is this their worst movie versus their best movie you know it's just all of these wind up being to me I'm not going to say the worst that they've ever had in their franchises, but at the same time, definitely lower tier, all of them. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that The Matrix was a dramatic step down from the predecessors, specifically the original. Uh, McKay, I think, just continues to backslide into being more of an activist than an actual filmmaker at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're all lesser in, in their particular filmographies. Yeah, and it's just... It's... Uh, on a more meta level, though, you know, one question I had for you. Mm -hmm. You mentioned it briefly. You saw Spider-Man in the theater, so did I. Do you think... you Would you have disliked Spider-Man even more if you had seen it via a streamer? And then conversely, if you had saw The Matrix in the theater... Would it have scored any additional points for you? Uh, I think, honestly, the adverse. I think if I had seen The Matrix in theaters, I probably would have scored lower. Because there's a certain part of... When you're watching at home, I think there's the level of comfort where, like, I'm on my own TV. Like, And I, I have a projector at home in a... I'm not going to say great sound system, but decent sound system. So I get a theater-esque you know, uh, experience at home, but I can go to the bathroom. I don't have to worry about kids. I don't need to wear a mask and shit like that. Um, if I need to take a break, I can take a break. You know, I get to eat my own good food. I don't have to do, you know, a, a, you know, a hot dog that's been on the rollers for six weeks um, <laughs> type stuff. So um, I think if I had seen the matrix in theaters, I think it would have knocked even lower because of the added inconvenience of driving parking buying a ticket sitting in the theater then having to get back home like it gives you that time where like you do decompress on the way home thinking like fuck i can't believe i went and saw that um and with the adverse i think if i had seen spider-man no way home at home it maybe would have been a little bit you know better i did go see that with some friends which you know I think it maybe did add a little bit because, oh, you get the, you know, the the old school feeling of, of going with a, a group of people to go see the movie. But even to that point, it's still one of those like I paid to see the movie. I went and saw it at like 10 o'clock at night or I think I went and saw it at like 845. So I didn't get home until like midnight. So you still have to have that drive home and you wind up walking out of it, having paid for it, thinking Ugh, I really was expecting that to be better or different. You know, and I think that is part of the streaming has definitely spoiled that. We're like, I could watch a streaming movie and it not be great and be like, ah, it's fine. I was at home. If I was bored, I'll play on my phone. I'm not going to do that in a movie theater, right? I'm going to be like respectful and, and watching the movie the whole time. So if my mind starts to drift, it means that it has to drift on like focusing on like the parts of the movie that I really don't think are working. So then as a whole, it sounds like you don't really miss the theatrical experience in general. You 
like if if life goes back to normal and COVID is over, I mean, I know that's not going to happen, but let's just say. How many times a year would you say you will go to the theater under normal conditions? One, maybe two. And it would have to be really. Yeah. Very, very specific. Like I'm thinking like. I think a movie like an Interstellar is a movie or an Inception might be a movie that is worth seeing in theaters. I don't think movies that are CGI heavy necessarily need those action set pieces that you need to see in a theater. I I don't think it's important, but I think that there are certain movies that have an atmospheric enhancement being in the actual theater. But for me, no, I, I enjoy being able to really to me it's a much more intimate situation being at home and again that's because i'm not watching it on my phone or anything like that. like i have my own comfort level like now it's it's me getting to experience this movie like i guess it's the difference in i don't know how many people do live music but like it would be the difference in going to a sold out stadium and watching the foo fighters versus can you imagine if you got to see the foo fighters in a bar right where like you're six feet from the stage You've got a decently priced drink. You're in an atmosphere that you're comfortable with because it's probably a place you've been to a lot as opposed to being in like some spectacle where you're like, I'm here, it's cool, but I'd still much rather have that intimate space. Interesting, interesting. I think I would, under normal circumstances, I would be at the theater a lot more than you. Um, but I think that's only because there's certain stuff that you know, smaller indie films that when I go see them at the theater, there's three other people in there and there's no other way to watch the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I, I think I would still go out a little more than you. Um, but yeah, anything that's going to be day and date where you can watch it at home or at the theater, the preference is always going to be at home. The, I guess the problem. Plus, in my particular case, I, we rented out a theater, so it, it, there were no strangers present. Right, and I think the problem is like there's so much of a role that ties. And we talked about this a little bit in the the No Way Home episode. Not No Way, sorry, uh, Don't Look episode with how well they shoot trailers. Because to me, I was lock, stop, and and ready to go see Dune in the theater, and I wound up watching it at home instead. And then I was like, I'm glad I didn't go to a theater because. I don't know, because it is, what, like $12, $15 a pop for a ticket. Again, you're sharing this with other people. Like, to me, if I'm going to go to the theater, like, I almost want to guarantee that it's going to be something. Like, I'd be more likely to go rewatch Jurassic Park in the theater if they brought that back than I would be to go see a new movie based off of a trailer. Like, I'd be, if I'm going to go back into a, to a theater experience... It's almost one of those where I'm more likely to go do a guarantee where I'm like, you know what, I'd like to go back and rewatch A New Hope in a theater, or I'd like to go back and maybe rewatch a a classic that, like Jaws, where I wasn't old enough to watch that in a theater. I'd like to go back and watch a movie I know I love in a theater atmosphere, knowing what I'm getting, than to go and take, you know, roll the dice on something where I'm like, this looks like it's going to be awesome, but who actually fucking knows? Yeah, uh, that's actually a really good point. And I think maybe that would be the the future savior of theaters is, yeah, if basically half your screen time was just dedicated to these, you know, these private screenings where you can, hey, take your 4K copy of Jurassic Park and, you know, five, mm-hmm. ten other friends and family and watch it. 
Yeah, could you imagine if yeah, there was? If like, I had seen Don't Look Up in a theater, I would have been like, "God damn, what a waste of time." <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, looking at the, the the industry as a whole, like, could you imagine if Sony had a movie theater? Like, oh, it's a Sony theater. Like, you have a movie theater and Sony rents out four of them, and you can be like, it's all of Sony's catalog, and you can pay to go watch a Sony movie on on a, in a theater. Like, that would be a cool experience to me where I'm like, yeah, hey, guys, like, for a birthday or a celebration, like, hey, let's go rent out such and such, and we want to go watch this movie. Like, that could be cool because, again, it goes back to the whole we are all part of an algorithm, uh, as they joked about, and don't look up, where it's like they they release seven trailers, and each trailer is cut very specifically to get one kind of person interested in watching the movie. And the problem is old-school days – a trailer was an embodiment of what that movie was. If you watched a trailer and thought the trailer was good, there is a 98% chance you're going to enjoy the movie that the trailer was based off of. Now trailers are cut in such a way where it's just like, okay, that trailer was fantastic. I don't actually know if this movie is going to be good or not because of how well they're able to make the, the cater those directly to the person they're trying to get to watch this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's become the uh, the preview tiles on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were talking, uh, you know, briefly, uh, maybe off podcast about the Batman. Or no, we might have actually done that while recording Don't Look Up. But yeah, I watched the first couple of trailers and I was like, man, I thought uh, I thought Catwoman was in here with Zoe, Ka- Zoe Kravitz. I was really looking forward to seeing what she does. And then the latest release trailer, they teased that, you know, oh, they were childhood friends. Maybe there's some romance coming here. I'm like, yeah, this was the trailer that was cut for me. Mm-hmm. They still haven't cut my trailer, so I'm, st- I'm still waiting for my The Batman trailer. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing. At this point, there might be two to three more before the movie releases. And I hate it because when you start to piece them together, literally, you've probably got 30 minutes of the runtime that you've already seen through trailers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting what what's going on with all of that. So. Uh, and I will but, tell uh, you, maybe this will be something that we revisit on a lot of wrap ups, but. You asked me a few wrap-ups ago, was I concerned about Ryan Johnson's Knives Out? <laughs> Again, I continue to grow more concerned. I just, I feel like we need to put on the site, we need to put a Knives Out concernometer with Travis, and we'll just, we'll see on a, on a week-to-week basis where that meter's at. Where Are you concerned? <laughs> is, is Travis concerned about Knives Out too? <laughs> <laughs> where you uh, are. Well, in this case, very much more concerned because to me... Leonardo DiCaprio in terms of hits to misses as far as his decision making he has very few misses and I guess he got paid 30 million for this so it's not much of a miss for him personally but I th- again if Leo can do subpar work and it's tied to Netflix it concerns me if it can get Leo it can get anybody I, here's my thing is I think we're going to as we continue to see how Netflix and your WB, you know, HBO Maxes, they continue to to adapt in the virtual world. I think where it's going to shine light more and more the very delicate balance that we took for granted between studio execs and directors and creatives, right? Because I think what we took for granted was if you let a creative do whatever they want, 
I think you're going to get a movie much like Don't Look Up, where it's it's a it's trying to be a little too smart for itself. It misses a lot of points, and ultimately they're allowed to have that two and a half hour runtime because no one's saying, "Hey, this is your budget. Keep it in between this, or it needs to make this much amount of money, profit this much." So you had that business side um, from the executives and stuff like that, the production companies essentially made sure that there was a guideline for these directors and actors and stuff like that where they needed to make sure they stayed within these parameters otherwise they weren't going to get any more chances right they were going to get cut off they were going to find other people who could do it and likewise i think with what you've got with your netflixes is netflix is willing in order to get talent they're going to let these people do whatever the fuck they want to do and that doesn't always make a good movie so I think you're going to find that there was a delicate balance structure between the people who just want to make money off of stuff and the people who actually want to make cinema and art. And, you know, in the old days, there was that balance that, that kept that in, and you got, you know, really good movies and stuff like that. And I, I feel like we're, we're going to get to a point now where there, there's going to be a, a clear and clear divide where your blockbusters are almost your Marvel cookie cutter, where it's like, it's about the money. How many billions can we make? And like, they start to just all blend together and then you get maybe your rotten your i'm sorry not rotten but your netflixes where it's like oh no we're gonna let you have freedom to do what you want and then it winds up just being kind of a mess because you didn't have anybody pushing back on like no this idea doesn't make sense uh, the uh, the general audience isn't gonna want to watch this or even most audiences either aren't gonna get this or like this it's not testing well like no no, no we you know we we've got to you know kind of recut this and make this work yeah, you were, you were talking about Adam McKay kind of being his own IP. And it's kind of like, we go back and look at Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. It just got more and more bloated as it went on. And by the third, it just couldn't support its own weight and collapsed on itself. I think McKay's post-Will Ferrell trilogy has kind of followed that model. He started strong with the big short uh, Vice is a little bit scattershot, trying to do too much, still talking down to you, even though it's a relatively simple premise. And then, yeah, don't look up is the, there's not an editor to be found. If we shot it, it's going into the movie. Hey, we've got Kid Cudi. Let's go ahead and get him some screen time. Ariana Grande, nothing, nothing gets removed. And it's just a bloated, mm-hmm. you know, fatty movie. Because, yeah, the, the problem you're going to get into is, and I don't want to say we're beholden to the almighty dollar and all that, but I mean, dollars were a pretty decent metric on if a movie did well or not, right? If it was a good movie, because if it makes money, people enjoyed it, they're going to see it, people are, there's, you know, buzz about it, there's some grassroots, like, oh, no, no, I love Don't Look Up, you should go see Don't Look Up in the theater, like, even there were times, like, I remember back in the day, like, oh, you haven't seen it, like, I'll go see it with you, like, I'll go see it, like, I really like that movie, we'll go see it again, like, you would get those multiple watches with the the streamers they're only concerned about views it doesn't matter if you liked it or not and there's a lot of times where like if it's free people will put it on and watch it because they didn't pay for it or like i said before you put it on you get bored and you go do something else and you just let it keep going and if you walk back into the room and something's happening awesome like i mean for fuck's sake netflix and netflix and chill i mean how many times are people putting a movie on and then getting bored and, and, and fiddle faddling with each other? Like, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't, I think that 
clicks and views on a streaming service cannot be used as a accurate barometer to a success of a movie because people will watch a lot of shit because it's free. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure there are a ton of people who put on Don't Look Up, you know, over, you know, Christmas Eve and, and Christmas, like like you said, just because they're they're trained to load Netflix and see what the top 10 is and, oh, this is number one this week. And even if they are the most right wing of climate deniers, they still gave Netflix, you know, at least – a view, you know, maybe watch 30 minutes and was like, this is liberal propaganda. I'm turning it off. But hey, Netflix can point and say, hey, look, we're, we're even getting watches in, in Little Rock, Arkansas or, you know, whatever red state you want to pick. But that doesn't necessarily mean the material is actually landing for anybody. Mm-hmm. Not even from a, oh, I changed my worldview perspective, but just from a, oh, I watched and enjoyed this movie. It was solid. Yeah, and even to that point, what do they define as a view? Like, do you watch it for 10 minutes means somebody watched the movie, or do you have to get past the halfway mark? Like, it all comes back into that, and and even you kind of hinted at it, you know, that the Netflix top 10 you got there. I'm like, that's very pointed. Like, you know, the user experience. You turn on Netflix, yeah, just pop on one of the top 10. Can you imagine that wasn't happening at a movie theater? Like, it's not like you walked up to a movie theater, saw the 12 movies that were in the theaters, and then saw what the, you know, oh, this is the top 10 or here. Let me make a recommendation to you. You should watch this movie. It was just a matter of, like, this is available. You kind of pick it off of a marquee, or you went there specifically to watch that movie. So there's no guided hand to get you to watch a movie, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, furthermore, do we even know what the Netflix top 10 is truly based on? No, no. I mean, that could very well just be 10 movies that Netflix brass picked to be there for this period of time. Yeah. So again, it's just, it's perverting the process to me. Exactly. So, well, as we talk about metrics, I think we can go ahead and get into our subjective and objective viewing of this trilogy uh travis let's you know we like to to cut this up subjectively and objectively we realize as critics you know the movie you liked the best wasn't necessarily the best actual movie on a on a cinematic standpoint so that's why we like to 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 divide these into two so i think we start with subjectively what was your favorite to your least favorite movie in this the the christmas come early trilogy um Subjectively, uh, number one is going to be Don't Look Up. Uh, number two is Spider-Man. Uh, number three is The Matrix. Very interesting. Okay. Um, and I'll have a little bit of a flip-flop. So when I do my objective, I can kind of explain myself, but that's my subjective list. Okay. Um, I think subjectively minus Spider-Man, um, I think I got the most, I definitely got the most enjoyment out of that movie, regardless of the fact I thought it was sloppy, kind of all over the place. Um, definitely catered way too much to nostalgia. Uh, I definitely, I, I could see myself one day maybe watching Spider-Man again. If again, it's a Netflix top 10 or Disney plus top 10 and I'm just like bored and I hit click. Yes. Like, ah, it's there. I'll just go ahead and put it on. Um, the next two, it gets a little complicated. I don't 
know if I would ever revisit either of these movies. But the problem is I think I initially want to put The Matrix as my number two subjectively. And I think that's just because, again, I felt so almost bait and switched with Don't Look Up with my expectation after watching the trailer. And it leaves a very poor taste in my mouth. Um, so, I mean, I'd probably stick with it. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say subjectively, I'm going to go Spider-Man Matrix and Don't Look Up. Interesting. Okay. I, you, I was relatively your... oh, I was ahead. relatively bored through all of Don't Look Up. I don't think I, I maybe got one or two little chuckles. It is so fatty. I just... I don't know. For all of the flaws that the Matrix has, at least it was something different. And I'm not saying different was successful um, with how meta and referential it was to itself. I don't know if I've ever seen another movie that basically ate itself as much as that movie did. Um, and for that reason, I think it might be a little bit more interesting to me to watch just because it did take that approach. Um, but like I said, it, it's a it's a close between the two. I, I don't see myself rewatching either of those movies. That's fair. Do you want to give your objective first or do you want me to go first? Uh, you can go ahead and hit objective first. Uh, so objective. I go, I, I flip my top two. I put Spider-Man first. Um, I put don't look up second and the matrix still remains third. Um, so to kind of explain myself. Subjectively. Again, I've said it on several podcasts. I'm, I'm marveled out. I'm superheroed out. So carrying that baggage in, Spider-Man already has a lot more ground to make up for itself. And outside of the nostalgia piece, that movie is just nonsensical. I mean, I think you compared it at one point to like a sweater. If you, if you pull it a single uh, thread, the whole thing just falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's Spider-Man No Way Home for me. It, it it masks that with a big, fresh coat of nostalgia paint. But if you look deeper, it, it's it's seriously flawed. Um, but objectively, I still put it first because most of the world clearly is not marveled out, and it it delivers what the Marvel machine promises to deliver. Um. You know, you complain that it's a springboard to something else, but that's pretty much standard operating procedure for Mar Marvel at this point. So I don't, I don't knock that as much as you do. Um, and again, subjectively, the reason I would put "Don't Look Up" first, I think I've mentioned this on other podcasts. I will forgive a movie for a lot if it nails the ending. And I think Don't Look Up nails the ending. I'm not talking about the mid and post credit scenes. I'm just talking about probably the last half hour proper of the movie is the movie I wanted for the whole runtime. So objectively, I think it's a problem when you have to slog through two hours to get to the good part. Uh, but subjectively, I, I can forgive that sin. And the Matrix is last by all measure for me because, again, I just – you're trading on nostalgia. You're winking at the camera for half an hour and then just giving that whole thing up. 
And again, you're showing me clips of a movie that is shot better, has better action, has better music. The Matrix, to me, is the definition of why did this get made. Okay, I like it. Uh, in hearing you talk... I'm still, it's still, my my final two are the ones that they're, they're so neck and neck to me um, for different and similar reasons. So objectively, I think Spider-Man is, is the best of the three. Uh, I think it actually has a narrative. I think as sloppy as the magic stuff was, and it's kind of all over the place, there is a character arc. I think it's a regurgitated character arc that we, excuse me, essentially had gotten from the first two Spider-Man movies, so... That's why I think I was still very irritated with the fact that we were doing it a third time now, or basically summarizing what we got in the first two movies in terms of, of what happened with with Spider-Man. Uh, I think they did a, a fairly decent job. Again, it's hard not to with magic as a MacGuffin, but introducing you know all of our characters from, from multiple universes and franchises. Um... And then just, you know, the way it's shot, I think it's got good action sequences. There's plenty of CG in it and stuff like that. I think the performances are more enjoyable. And just, it delivers on on what it was supposed to deliver on. And that's why I guess I have kind of a mix-up between... I don't know objectively if I think The Matrix or Don't Look Up are better. Because The Matrix claims to be an action sci-fi movie. And I think... It at least delivers on the sci-fi. The action is slow. It's not great. It's not, you know, well choreographed. I mean, you have all of the the at the end fight sequences basically Neo and Trinity on a motorcycle using force push on everything. Um Don't Look Up is considered a comedy, but I didn't laugh. So, you know, it, it didn't really achieve itself there. I don't think either of them had significant, you know, character arcs when I think about who our, our primary character was. So, again, objectively, I just, it's a real toss-up what I would consider to be the better of these two movies. Um, you know, I, I'm, I might would give it to The Matrix Resurrections, honestly. I think it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, and I think it knows what it's trying to do. Don't Look Up, again, had that kind of whack-a-mole, wide-cast approach where they're just trying to hit too many things, and I think they're just too far over the place. Again, the the performances were good. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go Spider-Man, Matrix, Don't Look Up. So I think I followed my subjective and objective, I think, followed the, the same list this week. Wow, I am... I don't think I quite grasped how much you hated Don't Look Up until this wrap-up. I I was so disappointed in Don't Look Up. I just, I and, you know, it, you hate to go into a movie with expectations. And we, we try in, at the at the chop shop here, the cinemechanics, we try not to do that. But I don't know. After watching, and I even went back and rewatched the trailer, I'm like, did I, like, what did I do wrong here? And I just... The tone of the trailer, the tone of the opening and closing end credits, like, I just didn't... Two and a half hours is a long time to watch a comedy and not laugh. And I guess that's my biggest problem, is, like, to have that much star power, 
to have McKay as a franchise, you know, and what he's known for, I just, I just felt like it squandered all of its potential, you know, to have so much and to deliver so little. Well, I, I think that should be the tweet length review is two and a half hours is an awful long time to not laugh in a comedy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've seen any of the discourse around don't look up, but it's about a 50, 50 split with reviews. And one of the things that's annoying me is, you know, people leaving negative reviews for the movie. I see a lot of like, well, you clearly don't understand the importance of what the movie is trying to say. Again, you can understand the importance of it and then also understand that the movie is not executed well at all. Mm -hmm. Like I would go so far as to say, I love that this movie got made. I'm intrigued by the premise of this movie. I wish it was a different director. Yeah. Cause I think you either have to go all the way into the satire, like idiocracy levels or you need to try to make this a little bit more of a human movie and not just a vehicle for celebrities to play dress up and make fun of everybody. It's I either wanted Anchorman or the big short. I didn't want the anchor short, you know, it's just, and I think that was the problem is I think I mentioned, I think McKay was trying to toe that line and I just don't think it was successful. It's either all in or all out on either one of those. Because you had the the over-the-top Anchorman-style characters, and then you had the super-rooted characters in reality, and the way they interact doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And yeah, I guess it's, it's funny to think about it, because saying it out loud like that, it is basically if you had done Spider-Man No Way Home, but the character's didn't mesh well like if you hadn't had it you know if again I, i'm just babbling right now but it's if the three spider-men had acted completely different like can you imagine if one of the spider-men was the 90s cartoon spider-man who showed up and like just tonally is completely different and like the characters don't know how to interact with one another like that to me is a little bit what happened with don't look up is you had two very tonally different characters throughout the movie and the, they just never make sense the way they interact. Yeah, I think it would be more akin to like, hey, we have three Spider-Men, and also we're going to cross over Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. Yeah. Like, tonally, it just does not match up. So, I guess, again, that is that is that's where I, I fault don't look up. Is it just it manages to not be successful as a comedy or as a, I don't know, drama, you know, you don't even want to call it a dramedy, you know, it's just, like I said, I, I guess that's why I, I have such, such a problem with it. Yeah. But the matrix and don't look up are interesting to me because they are kind of the mirror of each other in that, I liked the first 30 minutes of the matrix and could not stand the rest. And I really couldn't stand the first two hours of don't look up and love the last half hour. Mm -hmm. To me, I would rather 
be kind of slogging through a movie and then perk up right at the end rather than a movie show me what it could do and then realize, oh, it's never going to get back to that quality. And then the credits roll and you're like, well, it should have just left after the first half hour. Yeah, and maybe that's kind of, you know, I was joking. I had to go back and rewatch the mid and end credits scene with Don't Look Up because once the movie ended, I was done with it. Like, I was like, okay, we got to, you know, the the actual good part of the movie was all of them sharing their moment around the dinner table as the comic collides into Earth and all that. I'm like, that to me was the pin that was the best part of the movie. Once that was done, I didn't need any more. I didn't need to look through the end credits. I was like, okay, we got the one shot of the, you know, the phallic spaceship going through. And I was like, okay, they're going off into space. I'm like, that's, I don't need any of that. And I, at that point, I should have known that there was going to be more to the mood, like an end in a mid credit scene, but I didn't care. Like I got, <laughs> I got to the, to the end of it and I was done. Yeah, it's like you completed the marathon. You don't want to pose for pictures at the end. It's just give me a bottle of water and I'm uh, going home to take a shower. Yep. So. But let's see. Let's see. You know, not that it's a contest. You know, we don't necessarily want to agree or disagree with our Rotten Tomatoes cohorts. But I think this is a great opportunity to go ahead and look at what are what the critics and what the audiences felt about these three movies. So, Travis, we'll start with critics. Using Rotten Tomatoes as our scale, where do you think these movies ranked critically? Spider-Man's going to be number one. Okay. Lead pipe lock. I am very intrigued by what comes in second and what comes in third, because I honestly couldn't tell you. I have a feeling they're around the same. Uh, but I'm going to say the Matrix slightly beats out don't look up because it is a less controversial topic okay so you would be right do you want to try and guess any numbers or just you want me to hand them to you uh no i'll take a stab i'm gonna say spider-man no way home 94 percent you fucking nailed it. So almost to the point where I want to accuse you of cheating. Let's see if you get. I promise you, either... I didn't. <laughs> All right, Matrix. Where do you think that that one lands critically? I'll say fifty-nine percent. What'd you say? Fifty-nine. Fifty-nine. Yeah. Came in at a sixty-five. Okay. And I'm going to say, I think I might have accidentally seen the answer to this. So if I get it right, it is probably because I cheated even unintentionally. Okay. I'll say 51%. It's hovering at a 55. Okay. All right. Um, and to remind everybody, the run times of these three movies were also very similar. So Spider-Man was 228. The Matrix is 228. And Don't Look Up is 218. So they're they're Two almost the same. Hours, Hollywood. How long is it? How hard is it to just stick to two hours? Yeah. Again, when you have no one pushing back. All right. So now let's look at the audience scores. Where do you think the audiences put these three movies? Uh, I'm going to say the same order. Okay. Well, Travis, you would be happy to know that audiences agree with you. 
in the sense that it's Spider-Man Don't Look Up The Matrix. Ah, okay. Do you want to give it... you know what? Hmm? Like we said in the Don't Look Up review, the people primarily who are going to watch this are the people who are going to agree with the message. The the people Mm -hmm. who would shit on this movie just aren't probably watching it from an audience perspective. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree. So, uh, so percentages, I'll guess Spider-Man at 97. 98. Ooh, okay. Uh, don't look up. I'll say 69. 77. Okay. Again, I blame that on the circle jerk, but we'll take it. <laughs> Uh, the Matrix. I'll say sixty-six percent. Sixty-four. Yeah, that seems about right to me. It feels like the mm-hmm. audience kind of got that right. Yeah, at least so on the, the pass fail level. Yeah, on the pass fail level, yeah. the The largest discrepancy was "Don't Look Up," which had a twenty-two percent spread. Between critics and audiences. And yeah, again, that that tracks to me. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that leaves us with one last segment, our favorite segment here at Hollywood Chop Shop, and that is character swap. Travis, do you wanna do you wanna do the honors of starting us off, or do you want me to? Uh, I will. I'll get my uh, limp dick effort out of the way. Um, cause I tell you at first glance, it was tough for me to decide where to swap a character because like genre wise, I don't think we've had a more extreme variance of, of movies. And I think obviously that's due to the fact that we were just doing new releases. That was the only criteria. Uh, so my half-hearted effort is to take Timothy Chalamet's character from don't look up named Yule and put him into the matrix. Interesting. And the only real reason is because I think the hardest I laughed in the movie is when Timothy Chalamet shows up at uh, Dr. Mindy's house and everybody's doing their introductions and he's like, Hey, I'm Yule Jaguar X five, nine, two on Twitch. Do you game? <laughs> like, I sincerely enjoyed that delivery of the line. It, it made me at least chuckle, which is about the best I could muster and don't look up. Um, so we know that Yule's a gamer. I think he would fit perfectly in with Bugs's crew. Um, I think maybe you could have him manipulating the code in the Matrix better than most because of his gaming background, but then also have him be like the immature stoner that he is and don't look up. So I think it would be interesting to see him as a kind of a sidekick to Neo and the crew in the matrix. Okay. I can dig it. So hopefully you did better. Uh, I have one, my, my primary one, and then I have a secondary one if we want to do it. But my primary one was I wanted to put Dr. Strange in don't look up 
And my thought process is at a certain point while all the megalomania is going on and the campaigning versus is the, the comet real or not, Doctor Strange is going to wind up walking through a portal into this dimension, right? This multiverse. And he's going to realize with talking to people, there are no heroes in this universe because they're going to be talking about this comet climbing towards Earth. And he's basically be like, that's the biggest problem that you guys have. Like, we have superhumans attacking this. We had a purple <laughs> man who destroyed or took half the population with the snap of his fingers. Like, you guys can't just figure out how to get rid of a fucking comet. Like, that's that's not a big deal. Um, and not only that, he's going to kind of, he's going to be able to, to break the trance of people basically just, uh, worshiping the politicians and all that stuff, because they're going to realize that there's more out there than, than what is in front of them. So ultimately he's going to take care of the comet. No big deal. Like he can create, you know, whatever spell he wants to do to get rid of the comet. But essentially it is going to be an opportunity to give people a, a chance to restart and realize what their priorities are, that there's not always going to be a superhero that can kind of come and restart things and figure it out for them. But at the same time that, you know, they've been lied to by, you know, some of the politicians and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, again, it just, it, this is their redo at, at everything because he fixes it and basically tells them that like, I can't believe you can't figure out something as as simple as a con like you have all of the solutions in front of you to fix the problem and you've made it larger than it actually is like this is ridiculous and then basically throws up middle fingers and, and goes back to his his universe god I, good job because that completely keeps the theme of what don't look up is trying to do uh, I'm just also imagining the scene uh, late in the movie when the comet actually appears and the people at the um President Orlean rally realize they've been lied to and they just start chucking bottles. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting if that was the byproduct of a Doctor Strange spell. Because I was yeah. as I was watching the movie as it's presented, I'm like, if they haven't figured it out by now, they're never going to just figure it out and turn on these people. Mm -hmm. You literally created the one situation where a, a interdimensional wizard can come and and facilitate that change. <laughs> <laughs> um so the my other uh and i don't know if this would be how this character who i'm swapping into what universe but ultimately this is my concept is that maybe there's an agent that's brought into don't look up and essentially what happens is the comet colliding into earth is actually just the matrix rebooting the world because it's become too fucked up so it destroys the world and everybody who's in a stasis pod will basically have their minds erased and then brought back up into a new matrix and that's that's how they wind up some cheeky little way rather than just turning it off and turning it back on like they actually have to destroy the made the world that they've created via a comet and then you know boot it back up but again, I don't know, does that, is the comet going into the Matrix or is the Matrix coming into Don't Look Up? <laughs> I mean, either way, that that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, so that was that was my character swap, though, was my the real one I wanted was Doctor Strange coming in and basically. Again, making people like, I can't believe this is this is the worst you have to deal with. You don't have superhumans who run amok. You don't have aliens. You have a rock. You have all of the missiles you need to get rid of it, and you still can't. You've you've still fucked this up somehow. 
yeah, I imagine Doctor Strange being like, well, hey, you know, or, or is there some sort of like warrior alien race inside the asteroid and when it hits earth they're going to overrun us or mm-hmm. you know is this a is this a plot of thanos and the scientists are like no it's it's just a space rock yeah if we move the yeah if, if we move the rock does it go somewhere else does it hit a, an innocent civilization like what's i don't understand what's going on with the rock yeah, is it the trolley problem here is somebody gonna have yeah. to die mm-hmm. it's like oh no you guys just can't get on the same page gotcha yeah. okay mm-hmm. so but yeah. Well, I think that concludes another wonderful wrap up here at the Hollywood Chop Shop. Uh, if you haven't listened to Don't Look Up, I recommend it. Uh, don't necessarily recommend watching the movie, but definitely listen to the episode. Uh, we did do a little bit of housekeeping at the end of that one, which I will go ahead and echo here. Our next trilogy is going to be the Meta Hollywood Trilogy. Uh, we're doing things a little differently with that one. So we've got two movies that we've picked out for sure. Um, which are the producers from 1970, well, 67, sorry, 1967's The Producers, and 2001's and Drive. But we had kind of a four-way tie and couldn't decide what we wanted to do for the third movie of that trilogy. So we're going to set up a, a poll on the website. We're going to have you, the wonderful audience, decide for us what our third movie in the trilogy is going to be. And it is between Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Get Shorty, Hail Caesar, in the player so we'll uh, we'll make sure we get that up before we start the next trilogy leave it up for maybe a week or two close it out but uh yeah we look forward to seeing what you all decide you want us to review yeah absolutely um and i just want to say i don't say it enough everybody who downloads and, and listens uh you know on a weekly basis or catches an episode when they can I uh, really do appreciate it. Hopefully we can find more ways to have some audience engagement. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, we watched that in a private theater up here in Louisville. So that's kind of stuff that we want to do as we move forward. Maybe some other swag-related items. But, uh, yeah, you know, share the word. Anybody you know that likes movies, send them our way. Yep. Here's to a beautiful 2022.